Welcome to What Have You, featuring Rachel Jankovic and Rebecca Merkel. This audio is brought to you by Canon Press. Before we get started, I wanted to make sure you knew that a featured guest of What Have You, Nancy Wilson, has a new podcast called Femina. Every Friday, Nancy shares a quick, Bible-saturated devotional that covers all matters of the Christian life. You can find the Femina podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to What Have You. I'm Rachel Jankovic. I'm Becca Merkel. And here we are, sisters in a car, talking about nothing much. On top of it with our scheduling. Yeah, let me reset. Faithful podcasters (laughs) in a car. Ready to podcast again. For like, what, the third week in a row it's that we've hot been streak. really hot streak. diligent to do it. So, I want to tell you a little story about my diligence. Okay, do it. Mm-hmm. What's your well, diligence? it's only been like, I don't know, a couple of years, year and a half, long time since I've been frozen out of the what have you Instagram account by some... Password forgetfulness that <laughs> happened. Or somebody else changed the password. You know, somehow it wasn't... Yeah. I just couldn't access it. But I kept forgetting to ask if I could access yeah, it. We never get back in. So finally one time I was at Canon and we hashed it out. We we're got in, in. We're in, let me tell you all, I did in fact locate many direct messages that oh, wow. nobody had taken a gander Good at. Job. Because Jake or Jemima don't undertake to answer no. our personal correspondence. Try to be the ghostwriter. Yeah. So some of you got weird you know, four months later, likes well, well on your comments, yeah. yeah, and and I and in that real diligent work, I was also able to copy and paste some questions to a note that uh, oh. that's what's saying. I mean, so really, late this than is never. like house cleaning gone yeah. wild when no you're joke. ready to clean out Instagram direct messages. Well, that's you are more godly than I because I. I have a hard enough time keeping up with texts and emails, much less going into the social media possibilities. Like, is anyone messaging me through the Bible reading app? Maybe. Couldn't rightly say. Oh, I don't know. I wouldn't look there. And in fact, I did download Marco Polo because somebody was like, here's a great way. And it made me feel like I was going to vomit. I couldn't handle another source well, of notifications like signal or things and, yeah, in there that you weren't I doing. downloaded Signal because somebody said we should, probably you, and then did I, I ever no. look back at it? No. No. But in this <sighs> age of all loss of privacy everywhere, one starts to think we better get into training carrier pigeons. <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> to build a little dove cot to keep our I need to read up pigeons. on that eyewitness yeah. espionage book we have somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are getting into some weird, weird, weird times. times. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I did that. So if you want, we can pick some random questions. It's for sure a smorgasbord of, yeah, you know, through the ages okay. of our podcast, things people yeah. may have. Um, okay, but I did it, guys. Good this job. is the thing. So is this, are, are you thinking this will be our, like, tidy up, answer the questions? Yeah, I think we should okay, do let's that. Do it. And then we'll feel right. like we have, we have sprang claim. <laughs> okay. Uh, 
Okay, I recently listened to some interview with the two of you, and Rachel mentioned about when we feel that suffocating intensity that she remembers in it the, the, the Lord enlarging her heart from Psalm 119. I'd love to hear you talk about this more. I really love that perspective of willingness to grow rather than focus on the difficulty. Uh, it's a situation I find myself in often, and I love that I have a verse to apply when I t- start to feel like I'm going to drown. Yeah. Well, yes. I I think that when you start feeling kind of claustrophobic with everything that has to happen, mm-hmm. I feel like yeah. Once you once you get into the place where you're stressed, where your spirit is choppy waters mm-hmm. about it, I think taking a little time out to go pray that prayer <laughs> is extremely good. And that the extremely passage she's beneficial. referencing or that we referenced is in one nineteen, but it's. Uh, I will run after your commands, for you will enlarge my heart. And that is an important, that yeah. is important because I also think that there's a way that I could have a suffocating intensity that was not because I was running after the Lord and his commands, yes. no. but rather because I was doing things that were of no importance and uh-huh. putting a lot of importance on them. Yeah, for sure. So I think that the surrender that the surrender that makes that a safe and happy place to be spiritually is has to back up with what you're even doing in the first place mm-hmm. right like yeah. what is the work like knowing that your schedule or your whatever things you decided to take on actually were in the first place to glorify god mm-hmm. not things that are I'm trying to think of ways you could be stressed. Yeah, like like just because you're weird. Like you're a slave to your checklist. Yeah, or like you swore to yourself that you were going to mop every Monday afternoon, and now it's Monday afternoon, and you're freaking out because you're not there. <laughs> right. Like, well, is that really God's command, or was that the command of your schedule? Yeah. The, the way that you feel that stress of, I'm running after your commands, generally, a lot of the time... It, it is in places like just feeling like parenting here's all these kids and I want to yeah. do right by them but I can't I don't know how to be more yeah. mature than I am and be more <laughs> capable than I am yeah. and I and I'm pursuing it but it doesn't feel like it's all coming together for well, me and I would say like that's a good general prayer for when you're not in the thick of it because sometimes if it's just on your radar, you're aware that this is what you're praying for, then when you see it coming upon you during the day, you recognize it as this is my chance to practice what I've been praying about. But then other times things overtake you in the moment and that's a good prayer. But, but I think that if there's that pressure, I don't know if the question is really involving macro things or just the hurly burly of the day, the troubles that the day brings on you. But I think taking a time out is a really good thing to do as, as far as like, remember when we were kids and then uh, we did this with our kids as well. If we were going to be receiving the disciplines, mom would send us into the bedroom to sit and wait for her. Mm -hmm. And then she would come in a little bit later. We always assumed in our youth, I think, that we were, it was for us to reflect on our evil yeah. doings. No, but it just meant that she was never 
going to be disciplining in anger because she would make sure that her own heart was right and that she was square before the Lord before she came in to deal with us. Because yeah. when you're feeling tempted to just, and then I'll show you how much that, you know, uh, yes. that's not a godly attitude to discipline from. So she would send us in and we would sit there and she would just make sure her heart was good. It's not like we sat in there half the day. It was just, you know, like she would, minutes, yeah. she would follow us in. It was never immediate discipline like in the throes of the moment so it was a little bit more you know just kind of judicial and yeah in what's the word I was gonna say impassive sort of but is that the word I want no uh, I, I don't think impassive I think I would just say not inflamed by anything it was a very yeah, it was just like this yeah. isn't mom getting tweaked acting you know? out in but any way. taking that minute to just like you know I'm gonna just pray and Two minutes later, I will go in there and do what I need to do. I think I think often of things, especially in hospitality, like just the because you're hustling, hustling, hustling to get stuff, but mm-hmm. the timer is running out mm-hmm. always on you. Yep. There's a lot of times where I'm like, "Well, stop, put your pencils down. <laughs> yeah. This is what happened. What happened yeah. happened, yeah. And, and that's how it is." I a few weeks ago, I can't remember why I was feeling this way. That's another thing to notice is that. In a few weeks into the rearview mirror, you, you don't, don't remember. No. So, but anyway, I was feeling that kind of smothery claustrophobia of how much there was, or something, <laughs> and I could tell that I was not handling it with in my own soul. I was not handling it. It is it with, not well. With the plume. It is not well. <laughs> and so I just was like, you know what? I'm gonna go take a shower for a minute. And that'll be a nice moment alone that I yeah. can go in there and have a little pray. <laughs> and and it's fine. It's like, yeah. go do that. And then, and then if you continue to feel it rising up within you, pray again. Well, and the then stress, pray again. I was going to say some of it, some of this genuinely just follows you around your blood sugar life. Because, because oftentimes you have a really, like a morning where you have tons of energy and you're getting it done and things are mm-hmm. happening and it's going really well. And there's some point in the morning where I have an optimistic idea of what I can accomplish <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Uh-huh. And when the morning is like that, it's bound to be the three o'clock total crater. Mm-hmm. You've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. And the house is a mess and I didn't get anything <laughs> done. And I had, a, I had so many plans because I was actually going, you know, you just, you had yeah. an optimistic moment and then it, peters out on you (laughs) and then you're like tired and you didn't get it done and it's terrible I think a big part of that is is just embracing part of the glory of saying okay like like any muscle like I will tell people being hospitable is like exercising and it hurts the first few times and And you start to develop the muscles for it and then it is not as much that way but you also know how it is when you first begin exercising, you know, like let's say you were lifting weights, the initial soreness is probably not even from the muscle you're trying to exercise. The <laughs> The soreness is elsewhere. And you have to push through that until you finally get to the point where, no, now this move is isolating that particular right, muscle. Right. But you should just expect to be having just be all hard. kinds of other but, things. And that's yeah. why that passage I love about the Lord is enlarging your heart. Your heart happens to be like the one muscle that you don't actually have 
the control over. It's a very important muscle, yeah. but you cannot go give it an exercise yourself. Like the mm-hmm. Lord strengthens mm-hmm. it or or expands it. Anyways, yeah. all that is to say, I think that it's a regular part of the Christian life to be feeling stretched and the Lord requiring more of you. I like. I think that that's really important that people not identify that as some kind of a spiritual failure that you have more to be responsible for or more to care about. I just think your Christian life should be a climb. And lots of modern Christians think it should be a float on the lazy river with a umbrella Somebody drink Somebody was telling me recently that, the, that back to my the thing I keep saying that bothers people about being obedient. It was on the obedient subject. <laughs> it was the... Stop saying that word, Rachel. You saying both things. righteousness. Stop saying, which just for any latecomers to the podcast, no obedience of ours can save us. There's no work no, you can do not. that will save us. And I don't believe that. But at the same time, this person was giving me the rundown of how it is supposed to work. And it... And the way that they explained the Christian life was essentially that you, the the saved one, just rest in a hammock. Hmm. And whatever good works or obedience may accidentally happen are the result (laughs) of whether or not the Holy Spirit covertly does it in you. As Ben was pointing out, the Great Commission is... It, that is in the summary statement of our faith is right. teaching them to obey. That is what we're supposed to dot, do. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Te- not teach teaching them, them to, to chill obey. out. It's teaching not, them to obey. It's not teach them to Never hope beat that maybe something up. spontaneously combusts within them <laughs> that is obedient. But no, it's really but interesting. It also implies from that that we need to be taught how to obey. It doesn't just... Yeah. You know, there are the ordinary means that God uses. And yes, indeed, God is working our obedience in us and we work it out. But he does use ordinary means. You never faithfully obey by your own strength. No. Ever. But you're equipped by the Holy Spirit. Like some of these things. And you don't actually. Some of the ways that the Holy Spirit works are by Christians teaching other Christians how to obey. Yes, and I, what I mentioned to this person was, you should go reread Paul and ask yourself how often he tells you to do nothing at all. I mean, like, I think the language, grab hold, run with endurance, cast aside these things, yeah. hand to the plow, like, uh-huh. so much... Narrow so, and steep Yes, the way. and so much action, right? Yeah. Like so much things that you ought to be doing, not yeah. things that might be done to you while you're in a snuggie in a hammock of but never. If you do think that the Christian life is supposed to be <laughs> the float on the lazy river and you're supposed to be getting a great tan and enjoying your time, that would be um, why often people feel like everything has gone horribly wrong, that mm-hmm. I'm actually having to work really well, hard. like that I have a child <laughs> and that is challenging me. And they're like, what 
Or, Everything is lost. Or you finally feel like you've gotten that spiritual lesson and then suddenly you're back to square one. And I do think that that's some of the time it's because you finished fifth grade and guess what? Now you're on to sixth. Yeah, but, but I want gar- <laughs> to guarantee you all, all of you young mothers right now, this, this is my little message to you, which is that at some point in my mothering career, I think I felt like, hey... I got good at that phase, you know, like, and I, and I think when I thought that is (laughs) when it was no longer happening to me, (laughs) I think, I think as it phased out, you felt like, wow, I'm really taking charge of this situation. Now you're like dusting your hands off like, yes, excellent. But I've known for many years now that if I could just be dropped back (laughs) in my life, with the four little hot and tots in my life that I would just, it would be like going back to first grade and not remembering how to do basic addition. (laughs) Like, yes, the Lord moved me along from there, but also there's no way it would not be as challenging. I like to think I've learned some things, but it was physically challenging. It was a challenge no matter how well you're dealing with it and no matter how wisely you're dealing with it, you will be fried at the end. And I think that as Christ is working on us and in us and sanctifying us through our life, it really is like a sculptor sculpting something Mm -hmm. where sometimes he's getting after it with the hammer and chisel. Isn't that the truth? Other times he's sanding away. Yeah. Sometimes it was great big lumps of rock (laughs) falling off of you. And other times I think I cared about that. Right. But, but hopefully there's no time in which he's not working on you. Like, Mm -hmm. and I don't think any of us could say, well, he's finished because I am perfect and complete. As no. is. I Actually, mean, every time that there's a few people who are so bold as to try that yeah. technique. And of course, and we are everyone surrounding and complete, them. just to be clear, in our justification. But in the sanctification work, that is something that we should be moving along and making progress. And, and we also have to be, we have to be pursuing it. It's not, it's a, and yes, if you want to diagram everything, no desire of ours to pursue, no ability of ours to pursue is not just a gift of the Holy Spirit in us. Like there's no, mm-hmm. there's nothing you can generate on your own. But on the other end, I do, as I'm fond of saying, I can't go to the grocery store without the Holy Spirit equipping me to do it. Like, yeah. And the thing is, is could God have put you in a situation with no challenges? Well, he is God. He could have done that. But the fact that he didn't means that this is good for you. Where you and are. Not just good for you. These are the good works that he, he prepared, prepared in advance for you to walk in. And he is good all the time, which means that whatever your terrible events that you're staring at this afternoon, whatever that is, that's God being good to you. And yeah. Amen. He's going to be teaching you through it. Yeah. So do like what Paul would say and take hold of it. Like go after it. Expect your your spiritual life to be not a life of... I, this is a thing that I... This is very hard to try to explain. So commonly when people talk about the difficulties in their spiritual life, though, they're not talking about the difficulties of obeying or or the difficulty of 
being like, I know what's right, and my flesh is trying to go this way, and I am wrestling my flesh into this. They're usually talking about emotional waves of emotional feelings. Like when you're struggling in your spiritual life is more probably... Like spiritual depression. You're depressed. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of struggling in your spiritual life should not be that unlike trying to hoe a big path in your garden, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's like I'm trying to, I know the truth. I know what I'm what I'm trying to obey. I know I can't be angry. I know I need to be mm-hmm. selfless. I know I need to die to myself here. Right. And then it's wrangling your own flesh into that obedience is not the same thing as, as like when we're saying that Christian life should be struggle, we're not talking about it should be dark and twisty and tangled no. and full of doubts and horrors because that's talking <laughs> about like the emotional yeah. Side, And I think that there's a difference there that what you want is the hardworking exhaustion. Well, and because the thing is, I think this has been a perennial issue is that we feel like if only we could get somewhere quiet and alone with Mm -hmm. a beautiful view and not being hungry and headachy that then I could really get some somewhere spiritually. And I think this is the impulse that made monasteries and hermits. Mm -hmm. It's like, I'm just going to go out there by myself alone in the cave and I'm going to just be alone. And the problem is, is God put us in a world where the wind is going to be whipping around the corner and getting dust in your eyes and you're going to get a cold and you're going to stub Mm -hmm. your toe and like all of those things. You're going to run out of coffee? God has put us in a pretty hurly-burly world and I think that our desire to like sort of remove ourselves from the (laughs) the very, very physical nature of it, we feel like, see, then we would have gotten away from the temptations for one thing, that's impossible. He put us in a really physical place. And for two, even if you could get yourself and sit on the top of a pole like St. Simeon the Stylite for 30 years by himself up there, I bet he was full of little sinful toods (laughs) up on the top by himself. In a way, we kind of know he was. sitting on top of a pole. But you do understand the impulse. Because have you ever like seen a gorgeous, gorgeous view? Well, like the one we're looking at right now. And it feels like, see, how could anybody sin if they were just out there in that beautiful... It just feels like if I just was there, then I wouldn't, it wouldn't be a problem. I would have taken my avarice and my (laughs) licentiousness with me. (laughs) The Walden Pond idea. But see, that's what I mean. Like Walden Pond is a great example. The kind of the, the hermits or women who feel like their quiet time has to be in this perfect sort of suspended. Or how could I, how could I be expected to act in a godly manner when I have not had a manicure in so long and I haven't (laughs) had a blowout and I don't have clean clothes and instead I am trying to nurse a newborn who is fussy and things are not working out for me in this world. But when you were saying that about it being a hurly-burly world, I like to think of, you know, if you, like, you're talking about, like, life, everything that's happening. Just but, like, everything. even just pan out further and think of us hurtling through space <laughs> on a little planet that only because it's whizzing around so fast we stick to it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and then just think 
give yourself <laughs> that, you know, outer space perspective on how testy you're being right now <laughs> while whizzing through the atmosphere on yeah. a, on, and, and so, so much free gifts on this and that God's glory, the fact that God is glorified by our obedience in these moments shows I mean, like when you get an accurate perspective on how little we actually are, it shows how great God is that that he even knows what's happening in your life mm-hmm. to be glorified by it right. and to be working his purposes in your you life. You know, it's interesting. There's this little video that I show to the apologetics class that's this atheist. Um, and he's it's it's basically like this beautiful footage of nature with this overlay of him talking about why he's an atheist. So it's all these like lovely shots of creation. And he's saying that here's why I don't believe in God. And that's why it's great Mm -hmm. for me. But there's this moment where it's showing outer space and, and just the billions of stars and planets and everything. And he says, and I think it's so amazing that he doesn't hear himself, but he says he came here like God came here, it's just not in proportion. And he says, so that's why I don't believe it. It's just, there's no sense of proportion that God would come here to this planet. This is one of billions. It just, and he's like, so he wouldn't have done that. I mean, like, it's just this really interesting, that's why I don't believe in him is because we're too insignificant. And we, why would he have ever noticed us? I love it. That's a thing that's totally in um, Paralandra. And um, just that whole concept of what God did. Oh, there's a Lewis quote, not from Paralandra. But it's the one about uh, the son of God became a man that men might become sons of God. Mm. Like that, that bridge that yeah. was crossed was something that made mankind yeah. forever of value in a way because because the son of god became yeah. a man right and and it is such a but it, that theme is in the reason i mentioned paralandra is that it's in that too with the um it's uh, well they're talking about christ when they're talking you know they're the mm-hmm. big yeah. planetary spiritual whatevers Right. The Oyarsu. Yeah. And they but they are talking about how how it's now it's now this mankind is the Yeah. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you? Now I think that so, since yeah. since um oh, you know, anyways, since Christ essentially, now that form, now man actually matters forever. Yeah. Like it's right. not oh, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. not switching to like the big yeah. the funny other creatures and things well, like that. Well, or even in that hideous strength I think is where he talks about at Bethlehem the universe turned a corner. Yes. Yeah. And, but I, in Paralandra, there are these other creatures. No, not Paralandra. It's out, it's out of the silent planet. The funny creatures that yeah. are like different, like the big. Yeah. Seals. Yeah. Type things. Yeah. Anyways, whatever. That's a great, that whole concept. Okay. I'm going to bring up the next question. Okay. Uh, okay. I think it would be interesting. This is related. To hear your thoughts on balancing this with wisdom and reality, I'm personally more prone to taking more on, but sometimes feel like it compromises my ability to be faithful to already existing commitments. So I think, um, 
Wow, interesting. I think I just merged two com- two questions here. So that's kind of related. What do you what do you use as a how do you know that you're taking on something that's more than you should be doing or that like right. you know or do you always just go for what no, more 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 times where I think you have to say no or you have to pare back. I just think that we moderns are a lot more prone to be too soft on ourselves. And Especially because what we were just talking about, if you think spiritually thriving is a thing that it can only be done in quietude, yeah. then people think that having any hustle in your life yeah. is a sign that you don't care about spiritually thriving. But I also thriving. think there's, I mean, how should you know if you should be saying yes to things? Um, I feel like, well, I mean, there's certain things that you just don't have the option, right? If If your children need you today... It's not a question of do you say yes to it or not. It's you just do your duty. So yeah. there are things that are just duties that you do it because mm-hmm. God put in front of you that yeah. thing to do. But if it's like taking on something extra and it's something that's you could go either way. It's not like a command of God that you join that knitting club or something. Um, are you sure? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. But, <laughs> you know, if it's something yeah. like that. I feel like the old questions about what are your gifts, what are your desires, and what are your opportunities. Abilities. opportunities, Abilities. Desires. Yeah, your gifts, your desires, and your opportunities. Right? Ability. Opportunity and desire. Is what said we that. Say. You're saying gifts. Your gifts, which is abilities. Yeah, it's abilities. the same thing. Yeah. We're just... Yeah. We're talking... What are, you, what are you good at? <laughs> what do you have the chance to do? And do you want to... I mean, like, those are some easy ways, but I would also say, if you're married, what does your husband want you to do? Oh, man. Because that's... Because there's a lot of women who take on all kinds of things that they should be saying no to, because their husband would much prefer them to not. And and their husband also does not think it is valuable, but they're trying to, like, do so... It's actually part of a tension in the marriage, Mm -hmm. that they're trying to show him that they are doing something valuable, when he's like, that's not actually probably worth this kind of Mm -hmm. work. Um, That obviously could go... It could be that you are married to someone who is not interested in his faith and thinks it's not worth your time to be going to worship. So there are yeah, times so there when are, you should not be deferring to your those husband. those would be like the commands of God. Yeah. Know? And I would say that my, um, that one thing that I try to do is often think of how can this work? How can this thing that I'm doing work twice for me? So, mm-hmm. yeah. so for instance, the older my kids are getting, the more I want my hospitality or the more I want the thing, the other things that I'm doing, the more I want them to also be blessing my children. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to find the ways. Well, I always wanted them to be blessing my children. But the reality is it was, it's just that I try to find ways where what I'm doing is a blessing to my family as well as to other people. Or if I'm taking something on, then I... I want to know that it's helping me do my duties. Yep. And then not taking and, you away from and not taking this. them away yeah. from my duties, which is why it is actually helpful when you when you're thinking that way. There's a lot of ways in which overflowing the work that you're doing in your duties can bless other people. Yep. But that it still is your you're still focusing primarily on your responsibilities yeah. at, that you that are not optional. You're not yep. optional responsibilities. Yeah. And I think if you find yourself justifying anything with you have to do it because you just feel like you're not fulfilled or Uh you've lost yourself or you need to get back to who you really are or 
you're so drained. Or, or I need something just for me, not yeah, for other people. These are people. all, not yeah. that ever there's anything wrong with doing something that you enjoy for you. That's not that, but it's like if you are justifying taking things on because of little petty, selfish grievances, Yeah, that's probably an indicator that you ought to look harder into your own yeah. motivations and things. Yeah, and I and I just want to mention it again. Talk to your husband about what you're doing. Talk about what he thinks is important because I regularly talk to like I will talk to Luke about the things that I'm working on. He totally helps me structure what and a lot of the ways that he helps me structure what I'm prioritizing mm-hmm. is by giving me a hard line about something where he's like, this is what I think you ought to be working yeah. on. And this is, this is what you should prioritize. That's something we should only do if, you well, know. And I feel like whenever I am contemplating one of those things, I always ask Ben and there are times when my inclination would be to say no, and he says, yeah, I think, I really think you should. I think that would be really worth it. Or times when I would really want to do it, and he's like, no, it will kill us all if you do that. Yeah. You know, like, so, yeah. so those are things, like, I would definitely say, find out from your husband, because especially if it's the sort of thing that's, like, an overflow of what you're trying to do. You want to get better at this Well, like, over here's, here. a, here's an example that I would bring up, which is that you cannot... By yourself without your husband be called to foster care. Oh gosh. Or well, I'm just saying there are no, things I know. where yeah. you could feel a burning like, but there are kids who need a place to go mm-hmm. and I have this and mm-hmm. I feel so called. And if your husband says, No, we're not doing that, you need to recognize that and this overlaps with things that are far less serious than this, but like the need is not the call. Yeah. And that if your husband does not if your husband is not called to something like that, you are not called to something yeah. like that. And that yeah. that's a really important principle. Or even just things like, you know, we talk about cooking all the time or whatever. Getting better at cooking, expanding, being mm-hmm. creative, being adventurous, being, you know, all of those things. But, like, let's say your husband really doesn't appreciate it. Like, he, he likes this kind of food and now you're never making that because you're always off doing something else. But what he would really love is if you were really more into gardening, well, you know, change yeah. direction. Figure out what it is that he would love for you to be better at and then go there. Don't don't um, gallop down the road that he just, doesn't appreciate. Just take it as a thing that the that the Lord is that the Lord does actually guide you through the leadership of your husband. And so yeah. that and obviously I'll just put this in there. Parentheses, all the, all the qualifications that need to be in there. Yep. Okay. Here's a good one. Any tips on at what point with a toddler you feel confident that you won the battle? Oh well, I think toddlers are notoriously easy to read. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> With adults. And, and also practice reading them because yeah. you need that skill. Because you need adults, the skill. you might say, is there something wrong? You're like, no. Oh. Like, but really, is there something wrong? No. Why do you keep asking? There's something wrong. Nothing's wrong. And you sit there going, well, maybe. I mean, maybe. Uh, maybe it's just that I'm asking that's making something wrong. There's that. With adults. Toddlers... 
pretty much so with the toddler no, they folk. make it clear yeah. if they're still pulling away from you if they're still ma- making faces if they're still yeah, yanking away, i want to bring up an important important thing here which is eye contact yep. you need to be making eye contact with your toddler a lot a lot probably more than you are that's yeah. all i have to say more Eye contact. So many times. Get down on the floor, squat on the floor, and say, "Look me in the eyes." Like, or their little turn their little face to look (laughs) you in the eyes. Are will they look you in the eyes? You can't. Toddlers are well known for (laughs) pursuing their own course with their eyes, (laughs) and and when you can't see their face, you can't know, and it makes the parent wonder if they don't understand, if they're just distracted, if they're whatever. Look them in the eye. Like, get down there, look them in the eye, and you can then immediately, instantaneously, without any feedback from anyone else, know whether or not you've won the battle. But, let's say that you know, you've gotten through a difficult passage of discipline and they're still a bit sad. They're still a bit wobbly, you know, whatever. There's Mm -hmm. that. There's that moment. How do you tell if you've won or if, you know, whatever. I feel like once a suitable moment has passed and they can pull themselves together, pick something, draw a line, and see how they do. More than that, I would say make sure that the restoration of fellowship is so clear to Super them. Super clear. Because I I don't remember really having that question, actually having that question, because when they had repented, when they have sought your forgiveness, when you've prayed with them, you're so back in fellowship that unless they're really throwing shoulders at you and turning their head and being overtly well, bad, usually the fellowship is clear. I know I've said it on here before that I always say, look in my eyes, are you forgiven? Yeah. Like, are you, are you forgiven? And then we would, you know, you'd be giving them a big hug and I love you and let's go do this. And you know, we just are kind of off. And I, I mean, we always, from the time the kids were too little to talk, any discipline, we would stop and pray with them, ask God to forgive them for their sin. And then in Jesus name, amen. And they could say amen, like even if they couldn't pray themselves, they could say amen. There's and a then, lot of throwing their and arms then you up just in there say, and saying, oh, are clean. you forgiven? Are you, you say, all clean? Oh, clean, all oh, clean. Yeah. And you can tell if they get into a funk and a pout and they won't say amen, then you know that it isn't there That's yet. That's your clue. That's your clue. You know? My, um, my, did we talk about this last week? We might have. Podcasting too often. I'll do that too. Um, But I was thinking about, you know, the book Albion Seed in the child rearing way, the folk ways of different people. The Puritans were all about breaking the will and the, um, the Cavaliers like didn't, they kind of admired the wanted to get out a bicycle pump and pump up the will. Make the will even more of a thing. It'll be (laughs) an issue. And, you know, there was a lot of how people have dealt with the will. And it just struck me that the real Christian way to try to bring up your child is is to make them the master of their will and shape their loyalties, shaping their love and loyalties and giving them the tools to master their own will. Mm -hmm. Because discipline is not about breaking the child's will it's not no. about that's a the last thing you want is no. actually to have ter- terrified a child into just no. complying no matter what they believe 
the whole goal of it was to is of raising your children in the Lord is that they have such a love and loyalty to fellowship to to walking in the light with their family to being um everything that the home ought to represent and you're trying to equip them to grab hold of their own will to like exactly what we were talking about earlier with how the Christian life is for an adult. You're trying to give them the toddler size tools to fight their own flesh to be obedient. And then that's totally what we want. Yeah. And if you're not sure, you know, if you've gotten through something, but you don't know if you've gotten the splinter all the way out, sort of, then just do something like, Hey, do you see that pillow over there? Run, pick that up and bring it to me. We always and if did. they cast yeah. themselves upon the floor in a petulant way, you, you know. know. <laughs> we always did. We did pop quizzes. So a lot of the time uh, we would be like, pop quiz, okay, honk my nose, you know, or uh, put your arms up and I'd tickle their armpits or be like, run we down the hall do... and come right back or jump on one foot or give me jumping jacks. Or We would do obedience camp. Yeah. And we would say like, okay, everybody, we're all taking some time here and we're going to do obedience camp and I'm going to tell you something yeah. to do and you're going to say yes ma'am and you're going to run and cheerfully do it uh-huh. and you just give a whole bunch of like silly commands so it is kind of a game but you are training I've them. done versions we always did different versions of these sorts of things I can remember making people clean up the playroom was something that involved clean up superstars and me throwing marshmallows at people that obeyed huh. quickly <laughs> like, yeah. I mean like the point is that you want your kids to understand their own, like to recognize in themselves the strain, the strain and grab hold yeah. of their own emotions, grab hold of their own will and get it into obedience. It's not that you're doing all of that for them. You're trying to strengthen those muscles in your children. Yeah. And I think like just as part, part of like how we went about the sort of the disciplining thing first send them in the other room and then you can make sure that your heart is right and that you are dispassionate mm-hmm. and then like go in and we would always do the thing of like can you tell me what you did and and sometimes they will and sometimes they won't we'll when say, they're really little did we you didn't do that but well if they but were yes. too little to talk we would say you just did you disobey yeah. mama yes did mama tell you not to touch that did you touch that anyways? Mm-hmm. Is that disobeying? You know, like, so it was very clear what it was that they were going to be disciplined for, but also make sure that whatever it is, it's actually one of God's laws that they broke and not just your own. You're peeps. in here, young man, because I noticed you spilled on the carpet. Yeah. I'm like, oh, well, but see, if they spilled on the carpet after being told they weren't allowed to walk there or they spilled on the carpet after being told they couldn't have the Pepsi or whatever, Mm -hmm. then that's disobeying. So you're disciplining them not for spilling on the carpet, but for disobeying their mother. And then, you know, afterwards pray. Does that mean you're all forgiven? Does that mean your heart's all clean? Does that mean it's all gone? Mm -hmm. You know, like really. And also I just want to, I want to be clear about a thing too. When you're raising kids and you're disciplining them for bad attitudes or disobeyance or whatever, the only way that will ever be effective is if you discipline your own self for bad attitudes and disobeyance. And you are also, and that camaraderie that we always have had with our children is really important. The camaraderie is that they know that you're actually doing the same thing that you're teaching them to do. Well, like, let's say that they disobeyed. 
you freaked out, then you sent them off to the other room. Well, when you go in there, the very first thing you need to do is seek their forgiveness for yeah, freaking out. and tell out. them that you asked God to forgive you because that then, was not all right. No, and then you do that first, and then you say, okay, now we're going to talk about what you did, and then you can go from there. But obviously it undermines your moral authority if you Now, it do does that. and it doesn't because if you are also repentant, if you are also seeking forgiveness, then you're... It gives you moral authority, just, but yes, but you not should if, not. You not should not try to go event. into it. No, <laughs> you should not be heading into it with like, "I'll show you how it's done. I'll bite you too." First, no, you the, just don't want it to be like I have a zero tolerance policy with you, but for me, I have many free passes. Like you don't want it to be. Here's that. a question that ties right in with this one, which is funny. Uh, someone listened to our latest podcast, which was nowhere near our latest. It's just (laughs) when they messaged me, it must've been, uh, on keeping fellowship with your kids and how that starts young. So do you cry it out? Is that a form of breaking fellowship with your baby? Oh, let the baby cry it out. I was picturing the mom crying it out. No, letting the baby cry it out. I would say, I would say a baby crying is not breaking fellowship no. necessarily it could be if you are being in any way unkind or un whatever if you are having a bad attitude about your baby then but i would say in all likelihood that's more you breaking fellowship with god over what you've been called well, to and remember i i just feel like dad would always be like well if the baby has been fed and changed and it's time for a nap and they're in the crib and they're yelling your job is to be like, count it all joy. I'm going to go out. <laughs> my brother. Count it all <laughs> joy, you, my brother, in there. When you encounter various trials, uh, yes. like having to take a nap. And so, like, when they're too little and they just need to cry for a few minutes and then go to sleep, yeah. I would, I out, would, but. I have things to say about this, sort of, but I, this to me is like when somebody wants to know the, um, when somebody wants to be like, tell me exactly at what intervals should I feed my baby. I always felt like, well, is your baby hungry? Yeah. Check. Yeah. If your baby's hungry, feed the baby. Like, I don't know why you would be like, sorry, 27 more minutes until you get to eat. If you're sad and hungry, I'll just feed the baby. This was my approach in general. At the same time, you will notice times when the baby is fussy And you're trying to, you're like, well, maybe they're hungry. And they're actually not hungry. They're just fussing and they're Mm -hmm. upset. In our household, if it was in the evening, or I guess in the early morning, Luke was always like, baby tummies is my job. Like, if they are having a burp or a gas, that's a dad Mm -hmm. job. He was always (laughs) like, I'm on the case. If they were clearly uncomfortable or needed soothing in some way or something was wrong, we always tried to comfort them. And at the same time, every one of my babies was just relieved to be out of the womb and hated being like, um, Snuggled I did, up. Yeah, they did. They would sleep spread eagle. Like they did not want to be, what is the word? Why am I struggling to think of what's called with a B when they were brand new, they would be. Like swaddled no, up. Swaddled. That's not a bee. Yeah, swaddled. I, of course, I would wrap them in a blanket and they'd be cozy. But sw- like the actually wrapping them all up into like a tight little, little bundle, they were not into that. That was a no-go with my kids. They did not want it. And 
also, I remember learning with Lena that we were actually keeping her up and miserable. She would not go to sleep being held, but we would be trying to soothe her and keeping yeah. her awake and keeping her And miserable. I think there's a certain level of just balance because I think you could be a real draconian, mean little mother who insists on the baby crying it out because whatever. Mm-hmm. But I also think mothers are, could be capable of creating real monsters that can't sleep without I have, being I have actually witnessed the perfect little oil on their toe and driving uh, around with a particular song on the radio until yeah. they finally deign I to have, go to sleep. I have witnessed I have witnessed the mothering that is so oppressive that I wanted to cry for the baby. Like, just <laughs> leave the child alone. You know, where I was like, no, he has to be in my bed to go to sleep. I have to nurse him to sleep. I have to hold him. He has to. And you could see it in the crazed baby's eyes that he was not like, it was like a toddler. You could see in his crazed eyes that the kid needed nothing so much as some time without some his mother being all. Well, and I do think that you can create such a rigmarole around something like going to sleep that you are just making work for yourself because you don't have to do all yeah. the steps. But I, I think like when your kids are a little bit older and you're trying to teach them to be brave and suck it up if they skin their knee and everything, there's this fine line of like comforting them and yet also helping them to learn how to be tough in adversity. Yeah. And not just being unkind. And I think that that starts young too like I think when they're when the baby's little it's like yeah you don't want to turn them into the sort of spoiled monster I, that has to have everything just so in order for them to be able right. to do something like going to sleep so I do want to say though that to not be don't be really um just mothers be aware of where you're getting your intel from because I have seen articles, like, explaining how you're actually brain-damaging a child if you are not, like, the coming, it's a very, it's a very, um, what's the word, it's the culture that gives everyone medication for sin, mm-hmm. also believes that nothing other than brain like, they actually think this is just, like, a physical... Yeah. Like, that that a human is not, like... One of God's great kindnesses to us is that when we love our children, and we still sometimes make mistakes, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that God covers much of our... Like, yeah. like that in that love, that he, he covers a lot of our blunders and our missteps mm-hmm. and our mistakes. So do what you do with your baby... Not to please the world or to, like, do what you do to try to honor God. Pray about it. Follow your husband's lead. I remember when we made Lena cry out, it was really hard for me. It was my oldest baby. It was not fun. It was terrible. And I felt horribly guilty because we were trying to get her to go to sleep. And we would be so tired. And she would not be going to sleep. And then you're like, fine. And and what happened is we realized we were just keeping her up way too late. We were keeping her up because we were trying to make her go to sleep being held. (laughs) And she wasn't going to go to sleep being held. So when we moved it back and I was like, you know what? We actually need to do this because we are trying to honor God. We're trying to take care of our baby. And we're doing it at a time where I knew the motivation was not because I wanted to go to sleep or because Mm -hmm. we did it. I was still up like doing the dishes. It was like, let's turn on some music. Let's not be, you know, 
whatever. And honestly, I'm sure the rest of my kids had to cry sometime, but I don't remember it. It was with the first one that I remember it being actually hard for me to understand that I was choosing something to be kind to the baby, not, you know, whatever. All I'm trying to say is I have seen some of these impassioned articles about how you are destroying your child's well-being forever, getting their fight-or-flight reflexes going (laughs) at a young age. And I just think, don't be so gullible to anything that the world is dishing you up. Yeah. All right, do we need to go? Uh, We do, actually. Look how long we've talked. How many questions do we have left? Uh, we did We did pretty good. We have... Oh, I only have two questions left from one, and they're not even very big ones, so... Yeah, I've got another one. Maybe we should pick up there next week if we remember. Yeah. Do you have a tip? So, I have a tip. Not, oh, good. I have What's a tip? tip? Yeah. Big breakthrough for me was mm, realizing that I should keep spray and wash right by the dining room and spray stains yeah. on the tablecloth yeah. when it's still on the table, and then shake it out, and then take it upstairs. Why is this such a surprise? I don't know. But my my upstairs laundry room, which I love having mm-hmm. it upstairs because we have seven bedrooms upstairs. So we have a lot of, yeah. and the bathrooms that we primarily use. So really it's only kitchen and table linens that we mm-hmm. carry up or down, yeah. you know, that we have to take upstairs. And, uh, but when the kit, when people like take the tablecloths off, a lot of the times they gather them up to keep all the crumbs in the tablecloth. Yes. Don't do it. Don't let them do that. Because then all I have is all the crumbs from the dining room in the laundry room. room. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Which is like... It's the worst. Why is this here? But the spray and wash seemed like a hot idea to me. Well, I've done that before where I keep it in the bedroom where... Like, well, because our bedroom is downstairs and our laundry room is upstairs, which means if there's a stain on something or whatever, it's just handy to have it nearby so that it's... Yeah, you can get it uh-huh. while it's but fresh. it's funny to me that sometimes these things are a breakthrough because, for me, it was realizing I should have more than one spray and wash. Mm, and yeah. Like, whoa! Only should I? That. Would that be too Hello? risky? What? What? Why would I do a thing I like know, that? It's sort of like when I realized I should just buy two Clinique face washes so I could have one by the sink and one in the shower. Oh yeah. Why didn't smart. I just do yeah, that? That is. Smart. I mean, that's a treat. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, there's a realization that you're actually killing a lot of your time. I've been doing that. I'm trying to gradually build that up in my just toiletries bag for traveling so that I just have it in there and I can just take it with me and go Mm. instead of, I don't have everything duplicated, but I have a bunch of it, which is nice. Hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Any tips from you, Beck? Um, I have... Not oh, I have another tip. What? Yeah, I have another tip for me. This okay. is mine, guys. I just all right, everybody. Sometimes there are some things that I care too deeply about. One of those is Tupperware bowls. I am a huge fan okay. of yeah. Tupperware bowls. So <laughs> uh, I realize it's a weird choice. It is as a, a passion, choice. but yeah, it, is, it is. I know. I'm aware. But they have the lids. There's, it's very convenient. Everything about them is what I want in a kitchen bowl. But the really important part is how well they work with sourdough because they don't, the dough does not stick to them weirdly. So it dries. Like if you make a, mm-hmm. you make a bunch of bread, the dough that dries in it, you can just really easily knock off the walls mm-hmm. of it and throw yeah. it away afterwards, sure. which is brilliant. But I only just got for Christmas 
my husband bought me a huge a set of rainbow colored. I mean, they go up to like the most monstrously huge bowl you've ever seen in your life with a lid on it. Okay. Down to a smaller size one. Okay. I love them. It's it says a lot about me that that was <laughs> a real <laughs> delight. <laughs> Uh, I used to only have the vintage fix and mix ones, but now I have the all the fresh. Modern, I have the modern the ones all too. New. And uh, do any, people still have Tupperware parties? I don't know, but I don't care if they do or not. I buy them on. <laughs> I buy them off the internet without a party to go to. But just saying, maybe you could start. Really, I, I just want to mention it that I actually probably don't care for a blessed thing Tupperware does other than these bowls. Like the bowl is the sure. thing that really floats my boat. Mm-hmm. Well, and I use those plastic dough knives, the bench scrapers, so you can hold the bowl, which is hum- just enormous. Yeah. The thing is so big. Because I can very easily, I can, I can very easily make like 70 rolls in one of these bowls, okay. and it's very easy. Nice. You use the plastic bench knife, and you can kind of bend it so like you are the human Hobart. You can like yeah, use your nice. whole arm as okay. the blade in here. Well, I say all this to say the really little one. I transferred my sourdough starter to a little one with the plastic lid. And it does not make the big clotted up starter awful mess oh, on anything. Nice. So I just dump the starter into my mix of four loaves. Yeah. And then I just put some water in it, knock stuff off the edges and stir it up. And it's like so much less work to maintain the starter in a clean okay. and tidy okay. fashion. Nice. So that's my tip. Get on board with the Tupperware. Tupperware life. I think that the specific bowls that I'm into are the fix and mix. See, this is really funny because I have a real deep love and loyalty for a Mason Cash bowl, but it is not the same as a Tupperware bowl, but it's interesting that... But it wouldn't work for you. I could it, get lyrical I, about that. Yeah, but I like them, but that's not for this. Not for what I use the Tupperware ones for. I'm just saying, I have bowls But that your Mason Cash ones would poetic, not, but, but, but they wouldn't, wouldn't be Tupperware. But the thing that does it for me in the Tupperware is that they work hard. And that's the thing that blesses me so much about them. Because you can put the lids on them and, like, stack them and put them in the fridge. Or you can make huge batches of stuff in them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, basically, ode to a Tupperware. I have a beautiful vintage McCoy bowl that I love in totally other ways. Yeah. But it's not the way that... Well, you know how there's ode to a Grecian urn? Yeah. You could ode to a Tupperware bowl. Fix and mix. Specifically. To not a fix, fix and, mix. and Fix in. Fix in mix. Fix and mix. Fix and mix. mix. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway, I'm telling you all that it it works so well to like not have a ton of dough everywhere you have to clean off. And and ceramic and metal bowls are brutal with sourdough. Yeah. So just here to tell y'all, get on the fix and mix wagon. (laughs) All right. That's enough. Oh, I just realized my two tips. Spray in wash and (laughs) fix in mix. Mix. I think we found a theme. We did. All right. right. Until next time. Bye. Bye.